This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From your tip sheet, I'm going to use um, that little description of the book so that we cool. can kind of set people up for what what they're in store for. Hey. Um, and they can like uh, do the cross, the sign of the cross before they start hearing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... <laughs> Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Tim Jones Yelvington. Tim Jones Yelvington is the author of the fiction volumes Don't Make Me Do Something We'll Both Regret on Texas Review Press. This is a dance movie on Tiny Hardcore Press. Strike a Pose, Memoirs of a Lit Diva Extraordinaire on Co-Impress. And Evan's House and the Other Boys Who Live There on Rose Metal Press. And the poetry volumes Become on Your Face from Diagram New Michigan Press and Colton Behavioral Therapy on Gazing Grain Press. Tim's here tonight to talk to us about their new book, Don't Make Me Do Something We'll Both Regret, which is a collection linked by their exploration of queer evil. The mystery of desire and sting of rejection drive a child to violence. Boys enter the forest naive to what lurks within. A pack of pop stars turned lovers strike a terrible bargain to preserve their youth. Its characters are Gnostics and mystics, ogres and queens whose defiance of the normative both liberates and confines. Welcome, Tim. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for coming on. I'm excited. Please read to us. Um, Yes. So I I think I'm going to read a very brief passage uh, from a story um, in the collection called Cathedral Ceilings. That's a um, kind of queer uh, militant attack um, on uh, the famous, very well-known Ray Carver story, Cathedral. Raymond Queerver. Right. If you will. <laughs> um, Lindsay, will you, if I read too long, um, will, will you uh, whistle? Blow the whistle. Oh, just like old times. Your readers know what that means. I mean, listeners. That's what I, I mean. Your listeners know what that means? I don't know. I mean, no. probably not. I as, no. For anyone who doesn't know, I used to host a reading series called Quickies, which was all flash fiction. You had five minutes to read a complete story, no excerpts, no poetry. And if you went over even by a second, me and my co-host, Mary Hamilton, would blow a whistle and get you off the stage. 
much. Um, and Tim read uh, quite a few times with us and was in quite a few audiences. And it was a really good time. I wish I had my whistle. I would totally blow you <laughs> off the stage. I would say around like 2009, 2010, it was the, for sure, like the epicenter of my um, literary community in Chicago. And I also feel like, um, because you read almost every time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned so much, um, you know, back in the day when I was really into the conversation about like reading as performance and mm-hmm. probably, like old attention. I feel like you were always one of the folks that I hold in my held in my head. Um, oh, but, um, kind of an icon of that for me, and just how both um, like like raunchy and filthy, but also just like incredibly beautiful. Um, the work you always read was so. Thank you so much. (laughs) I miss it. I miss it so much. I, this is, this is an aside, but I ran into Jill Summers today. He's also a Chicago writer. And she looked at me and she goes, I can't believe you have three kids. And I was like, I think I must've been really like (laughs) out of control back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I'm I'm, I'm back in control, everyone. (laughs) Um, Okay, Tim, I can't wait to hear this. Great. I run my fingers over you like paper. I go up and down the sides, the edges, even the edges. I finger the corners. They're massive. They're built of stone, marble too sometimes. You find my hand. You close your hand over my hand. Your fingers ride my fingers as my hands stroke your paper. I'm on you now, straddling you. Go ahead, babe, I say. Give it like I'm telling you. You'll see. Press hard, I say. That's right. That's good. Swell. Terrific. Never thought anything like this could happen in your lifetime, did you? Go on now. Keep it up. You're cooking with gas. Suddenly, I'm convulsed, flayed open like a cluster of infected nerves, each touch a piercing. My desire births a shame and my shame a rage. The feeling loop circles back, laces a knot, a gnarled web. Shame, rage, desire. Desire, rage, shame. This is my condition, not only in this moment, but always in the presence of men such as you, me, a stuck fly, waiting mortified, terrified to be eaten by the spider, a spider that never arrives. My only escape is to expel this hot agony, to obliterate. Close your eyes, I say, keep them that way. I reach for the nearby table, feel for the steak knife. Quickly, I bury it in your gut in the tender valley below an abdominal ridge. The canyon floods with blood. You sputter. I take you deep, impale myself, squeeze to hold you tight, to keep you in position. I cover your mouth with one hand to buffer your cry. With the other, I strike and strike again. It uncages something, a feeling I've been waiting, plotting to release since the moment I arrived. I sense your departure, a limpening. You watch yourself from outside yourself. You fly up into the sharp point of your cathedral ceiling. You are in your house, you know that, but you don't feel like you're inside anything. You watch your body, its extension still inside me. I ride, mingle blood and come. As I climax, here's your cliff notes for you. Simple, you blissfully simple man. I am a blind man, a faggot, and I have come to your house to seduce, to kill you, to show you the possibility for change, like nothing else in your life up to now. It's really something you say. Thank you for reading that. I want to hear about how you write about sex because I Mm. feel like you're a very exacting, specific, like visceral writer when it comes to, to, well, when it comes to everything, but especially when it comes to sex. 
And I want to know, like, from you, I just want to know, like, what it's like, like, what, as you're writing these scenes, um, like, what is happening for you? Um, I think that the the type of sex or eroticized or et cetera writing that I appreciate most is when there is some real, um, I don't know, where it generates some real heat, I guess, is like mm-hmm. our theater. And mm-hmm. I think for me to get there, um, I don't write it experientially in terms of like thinking about like an actual encounter at all, I don't think. I, I have to do something with language that um, where it's like the affect of the language, almost maybe more like, like a, I don't know, a poet might approach it through like sound or... Um, so it's usually, you know, like that section actually appropriated and, and remixed and torqued in a lot of words and sort of bits of sentences from the actual Ray Carver short story mm-hmm. and um, with additions and other things. And I think that like um, that's often part of what I do is I, I'll, I'll find some kind of like text generating tool or or something to get like some some like language to like play or, or work with that I can then kind of charge through how it's used, I guess. Um, almost like, I don't know if you like that metaphor, I feel like a metaphor is like a, like the painter's palette and getting a bunch of different stuff on there and just playing with it. I feel like I, I kind of need to get some words to do that with. So like there's a story later in the collection where I used a cut up method that I borrowed um, from the writer Dodie Bellamy that's mm-hmm. like, quadrants of text where like about a half the page but in different quarters is like taken from like kind of more like pornographic text and then you like blend it with whatever other text you want and then it creates you look at it and like a lot of the times the actual word like like combined words don't make any sense so you have to kind of figure out like what do I see here that isn't on the page and I I need stuff like that I guess to to get to something that feels like it it hits my body Mm-hmm. hopefully the body of whoever's reading it in the way that I'm looking for, at least for, for that kind of thing. Um, Tim, is that always a starting point for you? Or is it sometimes that you're, you're writing and the connections or the borrowing is something it just comes from the fact that these are works that maybe are in your head or that mean a lot to you or that you've been encountering in reading or watching recently? Is it always a conscious okay, I'm going to, you know, invoke Dodie Bellamy's approach, or I'm going to, I'm going to think about, um, you know, Flannery O'Connor is a good man, hard, mm-hmm. it's hard to find with a, it's another one of these stories. Is it, is it always on the front end? Um, not necessarily. I feel like maybe different pieces have different um, things or like processes driving them. I think I do though often need to have, like I can't write from an idea, um, but I also don't, I don't do a whole lot where it's like, uh, I don't know where it's just from like a blank page and text coming either. Um, Although maybe, maybe it, maybe in like a way where I'm like, like maybe pacing or walking around and then language is coming and then I have to get it down kind of, but like usually there's some, um, often I feel like I'm working with some kind of like rubbing together sort of like a few different um, 
impulses that feel like frictive or something in some way. So often I might have an idea, like I want to do something about this topic or this thing, and it'll like sit around, knock around like in the back of my head for even like a year or two, because I don't have an idea about how, and then I'll have another kind of how hit me in another moment. And then it's like, oh, okay, let's put these two together kind of, or, you know? Yeah. It sounds like writing for you is like play and like, it's, it's about like making, mm-hmm. like using these things at hand to, to make something. Yeah, I think definitely play. And I also, um, I'm really, um, what I really hate doing, um, or that makes me like really uncomfortable is when I have like, um, maybe like a, you know, that like having like a content or an outline or something that I then have to figure out how to, <laughs> like where I feel like I'm deciding the words. I like to feel like they're getting channeled from somewhere outside myself or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like distrustful when it's not that. And I also think it's maybe because of um, so much of the writing I have to do in my professional life, like in the nonprofit and sort of social impact sector is always so um so much like trying to figure out the right language that will resonate with like the funder or like um you know the young people that we're like trying to market our summer program to and I just hate having that feeling outside of work where it feels sort of like labored in that way Mm -hmm. Uh, I also though wonder about like um you know is there um um is there and I is there something I could learn by um by trying that kind a little more often and like sitting with that discomfort and seeing what happens um you know I have no shame about the way you know the processes that I have used but I wonder if there's like also um you know I always like to be kind of evolving and um uh I guess challenging in myself in new ways so I've sort of I've I've wondered if like you know if that discipline that you know uh more traditional maybe fiction writers talk about about just like that button the chair thing and and kind of you know make yourself whatever if that would generate different things that I haven't seen yet is there something that you want to see in your writing that you haven't been able to access yet um yes although I don't know that it's related to that so um my my commitments around um like uh political work I guess or or sort of social movement contribution in in my non-writing life are very Mm -hmm. much about um I guess sort of decentering of myself um figuring out how to make contribution to really um like radical work for collective liberation um be generating, you know, the alternatives that we want to see in the world. And I mm-hmm. don't at all feel like that's something that's necessarily showed up in my work at all yet, um, mm-hmm. or my mm-hmm. art. I do think, you know, there's a politics, it probably is a politics to it, but it's been more kind of, um, more, uh, I don't know, kind of in that transgressive space that's kind of like, uh, you know, very much in the the muck or, or mire of the, the current, I guess, and, and mm-hmm. my own kind of like, uh, like obsessions and what I want to indulge um, mm-hmm. which has been really fun like play like you say but um, I think there's a way that um, I'd love future work to be more um, in collaboration or kind of uh, contributing to social movement and I think it may be getting there but god that's so much pressure though isn't it like it, like the job that you do <laughs> yeah. like the work that you do you know you're, you're doing it there but then to do it with your own personal art yeah so yeah. scary like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like what you put in might be different than what comes out you know absolutely so so I get why you've kind of you know been slowly working your way up to it because that's so daunting mm-hmm. oh my god 
uh tim was the form something that you arrived at with an editor or when this book was submitted was the collection broken up into the old testament new testament gospel and so on did you did you have that from the very start um and did you have kind of a a sense visually of how this work would look on the page or is, was that more a collaborative effort between you and an editor or a designer? Yeah. Uh, so this, the structure that's built around those um, sort of, uh, I don't like, what's the right word? Like those divider sections basically mm-hmm. that are all part of translation, you know, a sort of continually retranslated biblical translation um, that uh, the structure and those Bible passages predate uh, my submitting it um, and working with an editor uh i they don't it wasn't necessarily when i was writing the stories um something that i had in mind that was it that was its own story uh like the bible one um, oh, wow. that was uh published in the account um it's actually one of the oldest stories in the collection and basically when i was trying to figure out an order or a sequence i couldn't figure out where to put it <laughs> like it did it um, i was having trouble with the with like the sequence in general like figuring out how to you know, like, like what, um, you know, there's some pieces that like, that really kind of speak to each other more directly. And then it was like, do I want to space them out? Or, you know, what kind of transitions do I want here? And nothing was really feeling right to me. And then I was like, what if this story is the spine? Um, and then everything kind of snapped into place. Wow. Because it did feel like uh, there was a set of stories that kind of like, at least fit that kind of like stereotypical concept of the old testament is kind of vengeful and like violent and then there was a set of stories that um kind of felt like they were a little bit more about like desire and this kind of like um almost like love uh that are kind of in the new testament section and then there were ones the ones that i'm calling the gospel are kind of more about like a a type of evil that's more um this kind of uh evil queen glamour and magic of like art and kind of making the world on my own terms and or my character's terms and or what the voice people voice in the story's terms in a way that um you know whatever the consequences of that to others be damned but it's going to be really like uh you know glamorous and, and whatever um and then uh and yeah yeah so that's kind of how it um how it got clustered um you asked about the visual though too so yeah for folks who haven't seen the book there's um uh the design is really the internal design especially is really amazing and far exceeded my expectations so there are some visual elements that were part of my original stories like there's a story that is um in the form of a 1990s american girl novel um my book about the meme character alex from target um, that i actually like the collab those collages that are in there um i handmade myself I was going to ask uh, oh, you that. Cool. And then, um, and I like, I like found the actual, like, like closest typeface to the original books and like had like laid it out on the page that, so like that part was me, but there are um, a lot of the other things in the book, the decision about how to design the biblical passages, um, the through line of the, like, there's this blood trail that goes on different pages and as well as some embellishment to the actual, um, visuals in that um alex from target story all of that is um uh was was pj carlisle from texas review press who um did the majority of the editing and and layout for the book and it far i never in a million years thought that full color would be possible in anything so like my original version of those collages i had like um 
done like black and white photocopies of them and like a real DIY like hand stapled zine aesthetic thinking mm-hmm. that was all that was publishable and he was like let's take this back to the originals and um I just it's really um exciting to see how it came out yeah when we were waiting for the arcs um I didn't even think about because because they you know Texas uh, Review Press got back to us and said you know um we'll have them to you soon we're still working on them uh-huh. And I didn't even, I didn't even think twice about it. And then they sent it to us and I was like, oh, this is why, because so, <laughs> it is so uh-huh. detailed and so um, like richly colored and it's, uh-huh. it's quite something to see. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was blown away. Yeah. I'm really grateful. I want to um, touch on, you mentioned um, Alex from Target and there's also uh, Dan, Damn Daniel in there, which um Sometimes I shudder when I think about that time because I was in the hospital after giving birth to my second child (laughs) when the damn Daniel thing took off. And like, it made me laugh. I thought it was funny, but I was still, you know, like I I had a whole lot of sleeplessness ahead of me. Anyway, um, Mm -hmm. I, I just want to, I want you to talk a little bit about um, what these kinds of memes and pop culture mean to you as you're And there's pretty little liars in here and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. I just want to, I want to hear from you, like, um, like what, what are they giving you in terms of inspiration? Um, I think pop culture in general, um, I think I approach from the perspective of like, uh, or, or my interest in that really comes from um, maybe like like historic and current queer culture and uh, this sort of like insurgent, I guess, practice of um, taking, you know, the elements of the stuff that you're, ex- you know, uh, experiencing as like a, an audience or reader or whatever, um, that may or may not represent you and kind of recombining it um, in ways that do and that create a kind of community and culture around it. Mm-hmm. Um, camp is a big um, aesthetic influence on me, um, which I think is a really, a more sophisticated um, kind of uh, way of uh, appreciating uh, media than maybe the idea of it that a lot of people have. Um, uh, so I think that's a big part of it. Um, with with some of those specific examples, um, there's a there's like three or four, almost like a little suite of stories uh, that are kind of all about, uh, um, we're all written around the same time, I feel like around like 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. that are all using um, like personalities from the media that are all kind of like similar types of, of, of youthful beauty, I feel like, and, um, there was, uh, I guess, so like around the time I wrote them, I was um, turning uh, the same age um, that my uh, partner was when we first met. Um, So he's about 14 years older than me. So I guess it was uh, about 14 years into our relationship. And um, I, when I was younger, um, never had a lot of interest in, um, I don't know, that boy band kind of look. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And was suddenly finding it uh, kind of compelling um, at that moment when I was writing those. And a lot of those stories, I feel like, have this kind of like weird relationship to it where there's a desire, but it's kind of sublimated. And is it really about that? Or is it about me and my own identity? Or is it like, um, you know, what is like? And so I think that it was um, what I realized, I think, when I was looking back on those stories pretty soon after writing them was, uh, you know, ostensibly like queer evil, which is like the theme of the collection, was. Uh, you know, where I was kind of like getting the ideas and figuring out what would go on the collection. But I think what was actually driving several of those stories um, was more um, 
I think like uh, in what I was having at the time was like an anxiety um, about mortality um, and aging. Mm-hmm. Um, Did your partner realize that that meant you thought he was old as shit? <laughs> you know, I never thought that, but um, it's funny how you can be like thinking one thing about yourself and not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or like what I would probably say is like I just always took that from, for granted from the beginning of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time about that. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Sometimes Ben and I are like, oh, wait a minute, how old was your mom or how old was your dad when this <laughs> happened? And uh-huh. we're like, oh my god, they were younger than us. Like, <laughs> he freaked out the other day because because my dad was thirty seven when uh, I think when um, Hammer Time came out. Oh yeah. He's like, it was only 37. Because <laughs> 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 Ben's 45. Uh, he's he's taking it hard that he's 45. Mm-hmm. But a young 45. A very young 45, that's right. Who do you think writes the best about camp or writes the best camp? Ooh. Like who would you who do you love to read that is really good at camp? Um, I think the the sort of like uh, I guess almost like literary ancestors or or direct influences that I look to the most are um, Derek McCormick, who I have an epigraph from at the mm-hmm. beginning of the book. Um, and then uh, folks from a little bit longer ago are James McCourt, who's kind of like been described as like a camp James Joyce. Um, oh, wow. Um, this is all literary camp, I guess, or, or you know, camp adjacent. The mm-hmm. funny thing about camp is like, if you really go by the like the full Susan Sontag argument, like if it knows it's camp, it can't really be. But these are things that are kind of in the in-between space, I guess. Mm. Um, but uh, also um, uh, Manuel Pig, um, uh, who, who wrote like uh, Kiss of a Spider Woman and Memory oh, Mapro. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's like that element through his work. Um, Pedro Lemabel. Um, and um, Richard Bruce Nugent, who is a contributor to the Harlem Renaissance and wrote this um, Romana Clef um, about all of those characters that has a sort of gossipy tone um, in places that I feel like has some kind of a little bit of campiness to it. Um, mm. Those are my, I had to do like a quick kind of canon. Oh, and then um, uh, one of the early, one of the classic examples is early 20th century Ronald Furbank. Um, uh, who has novels about things like um, just like pages and pages of these um, sort of like uh, like bougie countryside British women with crazy names gossiping about each other where the only plot is like a woman who is like trying to um, have a uh, commemorative like memorial stained glass window installed in a cathedral in her name even though she's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, Three or four pages will just be describing what they're wearing. Um, oh, I love that, Tim. You were prepared for that. <laughs> I know. That I feel like was, anytime uh, that was yeah. excellent. <laughs> anytime anyone asks me or Alex, like, what what right. books do you? We're like mm, books. Uh, like, there's, there's a mode of appreciation, like in terms of like campus pop culture. I really the part of it that I gravitate toward the most that I think people talk about the least is like, um, uh, is that sense of like really earnest uh feeling amidst Mm. the kind of uh that sort of weird like um slightly ironic humor with which you're viewing something but that you also were like deeply identifying um so i think about like my favorite scene in the movie valley of the dolls is when neely o'hara 
is like completely lost and unraveling and in the alley and like screaming out her name at the top of her lungs near the end of the movie wasted when no one will come find her and there's like a big part of me that's like I get that I've been there (laughs) (laughs) identification and like the sense of feeling for me not just um you know not just the sort of like uh celebration of the the theater um, and all that yeah I feel like I read a really good essay about Mariah Carey and camp, but I'm unable to find it with this quick Googling I just did, but I think it's out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that um, definition of camp is that if you know it's camp, it's not really camp. Do you, was there anything that you've written where um, you didn't, you didn't think it was camp, but then upon a later review realized, Oh, this is kind of camp. Um, I don't know. I don't, Maybe things I wrote as a child, for sure. (laughs) 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 You know, like, I thought were such a big deal at the time. But then you read read back and you're like, that was me imitating a bunch of, like, 80s action romantic comedies. (laughs) (laughs) No shame. There's a story I wrote in third grade called Cute Cop. um, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. About this quartet of characters, like, uh, this, like... um, I'm appalled by the cop part now with like my politics, but anyway, it's like, uh, it's like a, a cop and his best friend who then meet this girl and her best friend and they're somehow all magically each other's dream boys and dream girls they've been dreaming about all their lives and then like they all go to a dance together and then the women get kidnapped by this villain and they get have a big chase scene in an airport and like a you know a lighting um uh like a lighting fixture gets shot out of the ceiling and falls on everyone and, you know yeah. I mean, that sounds great to me. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, um, can you tell us a little bit about the submission process for this book? I yeah. I feel like it's so obvious you landed exactly where you were supposed to be with this project and had an editor and designer who were so engaged with yeah. the work. Um, what was it like getting the book to that point? Yeah, I, um, I finished it, uh, the last couple of stories. Um, in like, I think around like 2018 or so, and then submitted to like several different um, presses or contests. Um, I think was uh, only got like good feedback on two. I was like a finalist at Noemi uh, cool. and, a, and then a semi-finalist in Yes Yeses um, fiction contest or, or something, but uh, hadn't found a home at all yet. And then uh, I decided to against what was probably um, the better judgment of most of the people around me at the time and uh, to go to not cancel my plans to go to um, what I call the fall of Pompeii WP in um, San Antonio in 2020. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, which I feel a little bit of like guilt about about attending, um, I think. Uh, but it was really it was really fun it, because it was uh, there were so few people. And um, a lot of the time was just like me hanging out like on a pool deck with like Lily Wong eating like, um, you know, eating queso and being stoned um, <laughs> <laughs> and similar things. It was just, and, and um, so I met um, Katie Jean Schinkel, who's the uh, founder of this innovative prose imprint at Texas Review Press. Um, and I, I think had been social media connected, but not really met or ever spent time together or knew each other well, but there were so few people at AWP in general that year and also even less queers um, that we latched onto each other really quickly and became good friends that weekend. Um, And then she solicited me, you know, to ask if I had any manuscripts for this imprint she was starting just a few weeks after we got back. Um, So it ended up uh, kind of just being the perfect uh, 
yeah perfect story i guess or fit that's awesome yeah i love katie jean shinkle she's a great writer in her in her own right Mm -hmm. um tim do you work with an agent or do you are you always submitting you know work on your own no agent um i've only tried once or twice i don't have you know it's the classic like i don't have a novel to submit yet so i haven't Mm -hmm. seen much um value in doing so but Mm -hmm. um yeah I did. Uh, there was one agent who read this collection and said um, uh, something like, "These stories have energy, but uh, without a platform." And he defined platform as like basically publications and like the two or three big glossies, right? Like New Yorker or whatever. Um, like you know, st- short story collections are too hard to sell. I have a history of submitting to small presses, but I'm kind of trying to move beyond them and kind of want to be able to start with big five. So, so no, um, which I like was in my feelings about very briefly, but not for very long. Cause part of the reason I, I'd gone to him in general is because there were folks that um, I think you and I both know uh, that this person represents that do have like a small press background. And I thought, uh, you know what I mean? I just, I was like, yeah. Oh, there's someone who will know and get it, but I hit him mm-hmm. at that wrong time and his ambitions. So. Like, how are, how are we supposed to get in the New Yorker? Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I have to. <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. Just tell me how. <laughs> <laughs> Don't twist my arm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm baffled by that to this day. It's yeah. like, it's weird for an agent to be like, well, unless you're in the New Yorker. Right. It's like, no, I need you to help me do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've, I've, um, I've been on the other side of enough types of things to know, like, you know, sometimes you just need a reason to give people. And so I don't take things too much to heart, you know, it's like, you don't want to work with someone who isn't obsessed with you anyway. Right. Exactly. And things change so fast. It's like, you know, I've heard countless stories where it was like, it was no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, what do you have? Or can we have that thing I saw, you know, it's just, you just never know. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. I was talking to my agent. I, th- I think I've mentioned this before where we tried to sell a book and and it was all no's. And, you know, he was kind of explaining to me like, why, you know, like the market doesn't want books like these, or they don't think these books will sell. And I told him, I'm like, I just, I, I, I should know, I should be thinking about that. Like I should be, as I'm writing or as I'm revising or getting it ready or whatever, I should be thinking now, how can I make this marketable? And he was like, nah, mm-hmm. like you shouldn't be thinking like that actually. Yeah. Um, he's like, but we should have those conversations once the work is done. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's so much subjectivity even around interpreting yes. what the market, what the market is open to, too, though, right? Like it's very mysterious to me. Yeah, it's hard because I think so often, whatever, maybe whether you're reading for Hobart or maybe you're an assistant for an agent, you know, like vetting queries or something, it's like, it's just, it's often, one person when it seems like a monolith and mm-hmm. often the one person is not the person you think it is. Mm-hmm. I like, I've, I think I've told the story on the show before M- my agent now, who's been my agent for five or six years, I had submitted my last book to her and her assistant at the time just was like, no. And I ended up connecting with her on a different project. And I never asked her like, oh, why didn't you like the last one? And then I finally was, I, I asked her at some point, we were talking about something. She's like, oh, I never, because I never read it because my assistant tossed it. And I had just assumed she just wasn't into it. And I feel like there's a million stories where it's like, 
the level of nuance in the no is a lot of times uh, actually even more heartbreaking because what appears to be one layer is actually six that mm-hmm. you have to get through. Yes. <laughs> gauntlet. Yes, a gauntlet. Exactly. <laughs> it's true. You're right. It uh, really is a, a journey, a quest. And you might not survive. <laughs> You'll come out anew. So, Tim, have you had the chance to to do any live readings from this? Um, not since it came out, no. Okay. Um, I, and, like, uh, there are one or two stories that are in it that I've read from um, the last couple times I had a chance to read. So I think that, like, in, like, Portland and whatever year that was, 2019, um, uh, you know, when I, I was doing readings for my the press that published my last book, Striker Prose, Cohen Press, um, uh, there are a couple of times I use stories that were, you know, a good reading length from this collection. But yeah, I haven't, I'm going to do um, a uh, Chicago, uh, you know, in-person release party on September 30th. Um, Ooh. Probably read then, but yeah, I um, haven't planned anything else yet. Where is that event? Uh, Guild Row. It's like a um, uh, kind of like a cross between a shared, like a co-work space and a, uh, like social club, like if you thought of, think about a place like Soho House, but make it like much more neighborhood based and much more um, somewhat like social justice rooted and much less douchey. Um, it's a little like that. It's in Avondale, um, right? Just south of uh, of like uh, Belmont and that oh. uh, sort of warehousey area by Belmont and Rockwell. Are you still showing up in costume when um, you do these events? Some type of... of in compelling fashion, but the sort of persona I retired more or less after mm. I stopped reading from the Strike a Prose book. Um, like that was sort of the book that came out of that. Eventually, came out of that practice, mm. and uh, it felt like uh, the culmination of it. I guess I'm in mean, wow. something else. So, yes, Tim used to walk in to readings, and everybody would be captivated because Tim would have a different look for each. Each time I saw you, it would be something completely new wild meticulous uh incredible yeah it started as a kind of like mm, sort of bowie-esque kind of glam um Mm -hmm. masculinity sort of um with always uh i started early on like gluing sequins to my face with a little bit club kid too i guess Mm -hmm. and um uh gradually that segued into segued into full drag um and the kind of thing the thing that kind of happened was then like I was starting to feel a little bit like this wasn't um it cost a lot of money for one thing it wasn't going anywhere in the the lit scene so I was like maybe maybe I should like I I started getting this urge to like try actually making um a stab at a, a like a and making a go of it um in in nightlife and like more of more real drag and that was happened from about like 2013 to 2014 or 15 or so um until i kind of like burnt out on that attempt but um it was it was a fun time to to like try um but it also delayed me finishing that like book mm-hmm. <laughs> that was about the sort of <laughs> persona because i was also in grad school for youth development from um 20 you know around the same same period of time um so i uh missed out on a lot of um sort of lit scene stuff in that period of time and when I came back it was like the whole community I knew in Chicago was was basically gone like we were all in our 30s by then and doing our own thing right Um, yeah it's crazy I um someone asked me recently like oh Lindsay you know you probably know the lit scene as well as anyone and I was like no (laughs) I don't know anything (laughs) well in prose and 
it's particularly like prose and fiction, it feels like got completely taken over by the, um, you know, the like nonfiction storytelling scene, which yeah. I like, appreciate, but it's um, not something I really um, have any interest in um, as a writer and not even that much as like a listener. Um, right, so, right, right, right. People love <laughs> that, that makes shit makes two of us. Like, yeah. power to the awesome people like Megan Steelstra and, and, you know, the folks who do that, but it's just not me. So. Well, what's next? Uh, um, I am <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on two things. Um, one is a, um, uh, a, a book that I started um, kind of mid-pandemic that's a, like a hero's journey in the, um, an anti-hero's journey, kind of using the hero's journey format to talk about how much I hate the hero's journey, right? <laughs> about, <laughs> about a quest for, um, a quest for Strawberry Fanta. Um, a, <laughs> and it's called the Strawberry Fanta book. And, um, oh my gosh. It's, uh, um, so one of my biggest, my other big influence, one of my other big sort of literary influences is like the, the new narrativists. Um, I don't know if you're familiar at all, but, uh, the sort of core group or their core time period um, is like um, 1980s San Francisco, um, uh, very queer work that usually has some kind of like meta fictional um, or auto, what now people are now calling auto, um, auto fictional element to it, right? So it's like usually texts that are functioning on multiple levels where there's like some element of like, um, lived experience, embodiment, gossip, um, naming of the people you're in community with, um, kind of confession. And then layered over that, there'll be like, uh, you know, sort of uh, theory, whether it's like literary theory, art theory, political theory, they were all kind of like queer leftists um, and maybe like like myth, but usually like narrative is commenting on itself and narrating it itself on like multiple different levels. Um, so that's like the movement, the Dodie Bellamy, Kevin Killian, um, uh, Robert Gluck, Bruce Boone, um, uh, et, et cetera, were, a, a, you know, a big part of, and it's been a big influence on me. And I think of the books I've written, this one is the most in that vein, kind of, there's different formal experiments in almost every chapter and um, like, you know, weird things going on with time. And, um, uh, but it's, you know, Quest for Strawberry Fan, but really it's about like mental health, um, the uprisings, uh, my um, relationship with, my mother that's a little bit fraught because she hasn't spoken to me since 2018 what um, a lot of different things so I'm sorry to hear that one of the weirdest things I've ever read but maybe also one of the most personal and vulnerable so um, we'll see and then uh the other completely different project I'm working on is um a, a soap opera <laughs> oh, oh my god like for tv or, or for well so here's the thing is like um I really, all of the narrative elements of soap that I've, I've been a fan and viewer for many years and I took like maybe a 20 year break from the genre and got re-obsessed in 2021. Um, but a lot of like what I want to do with it as a writer is stuck in the like five day a week, 52 week, you know, 52 day a year format because of, I really want to like learn how to slow down and do a really character driven narrative across that span of time and build long story um, and have these like moments that, um these kind of everyday moments that you get of like these people in your living room where it doesn't move story that fast um that's the challenge i want as a writer but that kind of soap is basically unproducible in 2022 because the mm -hmm. genre has been you know 
whittled down to, you know, they haven't made, there's no new soaps happening ever again, basically, right? So yeah. I, it's like, at first I was like, well, I want to do the writing challenge and then I'll figure out if I like maybe do it in prose form and distribute it um, like in a newsletter format or maybe try to do it as a radio or podcast thing. But then um, I ended up writing the pilot in screenplay format uh, because I decided kind of on a whim to apply to the screenplay track at Lambda this summer um, and didn't get in, but was really grateful for the opportunity to like, do something that was all dialogue based and, and mm -hmm. really enjoyed it. So now I'm like, do I care enough about these characters and context that I came up with to like maybe get rid of this attachment to like the the craziness of the five day a week soap format and you know like pursue web series or you know what I mean? Like, is there actually should I try to like get it produced? But I have nowhere to no idea where to begin with that. So we'll see. Yeah, wow, oh, that'd be amazing. Uh, I'm in a, on um, both of those things. It's like a. Um, I guess the logline is sort of like social justice soap opera. It's uh, <laughs> kind of pulling from like the old school kind of golden era of daytime soap, which was much more kind of character driven and like responsive to its social context. I and mean, it's still a lot of like great twists and, and melodrama and all that, but um, uh, but like writing the sort of characters and context that were never represented that I feel like always should have been. So basically um, there's only one character in the entire uh, show that's, um, white and cisgender and straight and uh, a man um, <laughs> i feel like that would i feel like that would play today i feel like there's an yeah. audience for this totally totally it's a the rival families are like a wealthy white family driven by a sort of toxic gay patriarch who's a real estate tycoon and has this like trans daughter who is sort of like his you know right hand woman and the most like him but who he's kind of always taking for granted and she's she can sort of see that it's about his trans misogyny, but he'll never say that out loud because he wants to be seen as this sort of liberal accepting whatever. And um, so kind of always gaslighting her around that. She's kind of like the diva manipulative character. Um, the rival family is like this black political family. Um, it takes place in a sort of mid-sized Midwestern city. Um, and a lot of the sort of racial history of the city is sort of the context and backstory for the, the battle between these families. And um, one of the main heroes is this, like, uh, from the the from the black family, is the young sort of um, trans man community organizer who's up against the you know real estate family on this um, campaign for how a piece of land's going to get used. And um, so it's a uh, a context, you know, the where where like I don't know corporate um, boardroom shenanigans might be the focus on a on like a traditional soap. This sort of uses like urban community organizing. Um, and development and politics is sort of the the stuff for the for that gets crossed with like the interpersonal um you know soapy conflicts between the characters Damn, it I sounds mean, like you care enough about these characters to yeah. move forward with this about characters that's the thing like, i don't think that's a question at all after hearing yeah. you describe the project i think you got to pursue this uh -huh. yeah and i need our what? listeners to listen yeah. to me i need you to hear me right now listeners you do not fucking steal this idea Okay, this is Tim Jones Yelvington's idea. Yeah, yeah we're gonna bleep Do out not. random parts of that. Yeah, that's uh -huh. right. It is their uh -huh. idea, not yours. It is such a good idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> you gotta do that. You know, I always feel like the execution and how matter more than the the stuff. So I've never worried oh, about that. But this is a space where um, I probably should worry more because it's less. It's this is not experimental fiction anymore, right? Like, that's right. This is where like the idea is what you sell, like. Content is what you sell, right? So yeah. It sounds like you already have the show Bible. <laughs> like, you know, like you've right, done exactly. the work, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I couldn't even describe the last novel I wrote that clearly or concisely, and I spent five years on it. I, I would just be mumbling at you, drooling. So I think I think this is a thing, Tim. Amazing. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible. Yeah, I knew thank it you. Would be. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you. This was fun. Everybody go get Tim's book. If you're in Chicago on September 30th, you're in for a treat. Go see Tim at the Guild Row. You'll put put it up on your yes, yeah, on your socials and stuff. So, okay, gotta get okay. to work on that this week. Awesome. Uh, it's called "Don't Make Me Do Something We'll Both Regret." Tim Jones Yeldington, thank you so much. Thank you. That was fun. That was good, right? Yeah, I'm glad Tim came on. That was a a fun conversation. Tim's awesome. If you can catch them live, you should. Um, Alex just got on Twitter and asked people to ask us questions. And we have a whopping two. Hey, thank you, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) But they're both fun, so that's good. And it also is Saturday night. You know, who's on Twitter on Saturday night aside from us? I don't know. God, I have no idea. Uh, First one is from Adam Soldovsky. And he has this question for us. When is the I'm a writer live tour in which cities? Thank you. So I think we should just answer this as like, maybe give like the four cities you would want to hit. Okay. Because there ain't no tour happening, obviously. Listen, if Adam uh, Solodowski wants to start a GoFundMe, mm-hmm. sure. To to get us on in, on a tour, mm-hmm. we'll consider it. <laughs> we'll consider it. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm gonna go with Chicago. <laughs> okay. Downers Grove. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, I I would want to go west. Mm-hmm. I would want to go. You know what's really fun is the Twin Cities. I would go to the. Twin I Cities. love the Twin Cities. Sure. Hell yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know Texas. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to say New York. Does everyone okay. want to say New York? Maybe like upstate New York. New York actually didn't occur to me. Oh, I was you. thinking Austin because mm-hmm. I have a friend there, and North Carolina because I think both of us have a ton of family there. Yes. Somewhere in North Carolina. And then I would also want to go to somewhere in Canada. Oh my God. What a good answer. Like Vancouver. Vancouver. Yes. That would be, yeah, that would be it. Vancouver. Bring us to you, please. Sure. I wonder what the lit scene's like in Vancouver. I bet it's good. Probably. From what I hear, it's great. Yeah. Um, So Adam, get that GoFundMe going. And then the other question is a quick one, which I'm going to let you handle. Who are the kids singing on your cool intro song? Okay. Those are my kids. Those are your kids. Yeah. And the one that goes, yeah, the loudest and the longest is my youngest, my daughter, who's four now, but I think she was two. I didn't realize that was her. Yeah. Yep. Uh... Yeah. She's a rebel. Cause like the two boys like stood obediently by the microphone <laughs> And she like ran into the, like behind us and was playing with her toys because I wanted her to do something. And that's a no. Um, It's been like that for years. And, but she would chime in and that was her, that was her, her work. Yes. 
What a and legend. The music was done by a best friend of mine from childhood, Max Loop. So good. We asked him for some like uh like rug ratsy type music, <laughs> and that's what he did. It turned out great. Your references are always the best. Like when we were trying to describe what we wanted our logo to look like, mm-hmm. you just like came up, you just had right at the at the ready. Like what was it? Like an automotive shop logo? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I, I was I was I was I was anxious to hear what you're gonna say because I couldn't remember what the generative image was. But yeah, I think you're right. It was an automotive shop. And I was just like, I don't know, like chunky serif font. <laughs> and you were like, I like this. <laughs> Uh, and it was perfect yeah thank you zach forever zach we love you zach um anything new with you anything good my kids all three kids start school on monday knock wood oh my god monday for some reason i thought they were middle of the week too Mm -mm. wow monday monday yeah yeah and like when you have three kids or multiple kids Mm. the work you have to do is exponential like I, I registered my daughter for preschool, like as soon as I could. And I filled out all the forms and everything. And when we went to her orientation, I got a whole new packet of forms that needed to be filled out. Yeah. And then we went to the boys back to school night and they got two new packets of forms that they had yeah. to fill out. And it's just like, it's fucking crazy how much. And then like the checklist do. of supplies, Britt yes. and I were looking at that today and it's just like, like paper plates this size, mm-hmm. googly eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't get them in the stores. It's it's right. impossible. And you go on Amazon, and everything's like backed up two weeks. Yeah, it's all. But the thankfully, same stuff. our school, you just pay them money, mm-hmm. and they buy what they want. So we just pay them oh, a fee, and then they. That's buy cool. It. Yeah, it's it helps a lot. Um, nice. So that's the main thing, and I don't know. I can't believe it. I have like a lot of stuff to catch up on, including this this podcast. Um, and then like two weeks into school, I go do that Ragdale retreat, um, oh my God, yeah. which is two nights over Labor Day weekend. I'm so excited about that. I'm hoping to have like all my work caught up by then. So I can like actually write. I feel like you're going to cry a lot. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a projecting way. I feel like if I had two nights to myself like that, I would just cry a lot. Anytime I have alone time, I cry <laughs> honestly, because you know, as parents, yeah, no, we're always like, Okay, I'll feel that later. Right now, I just need to get through this. Mm-hmm. Like, I just need to get my kids fed or put to bed or, you know, whatever, right. like out of this tantrum. Yes. And later, I'll process that. And there's never a later. And so yeah. that's why I cry on my Peloton. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Christine Dercole. I love you. <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm excited. What about you? What's up with you? Uh, today was my soccer coaching debut. Oh my God. It was really fun. It was great. I mean, coaching uh, is, a, is a really, the word coaching is doing a lot of work in that <laughs> sentence. It's, you know, you're, uh, there's no ref or anything for four-year-olds. So, you know, the two coaches are on the field kind of helping and setting stuff up and keeping time and whatever. And it, it was fun. Uh, we have eight girls on the team. And, you know, you're, I'm trying to make sure everybody's playing equal amount of time and keeping mm-hmm. things fair and stuff. And I had anticipated that the, the hurdle to that happening would be the girls getting tired. And I was way off base. Oh. The, 
the hurdle was the girls. I mean, it doesn't matter that they're girls, they are girls, but the kids just having like meltdowns or like, you know, like wanting to go sit with mom for five minutes or like, Mm -hmm. and so a lot of it was just like, okay, are you in a good enough state? No, you're not. Okay. All right. I need you back out, bud. And all this (laughs) stuff. And so it was, it was pretty funny. We have two like fucking Pele's on the team (laughs) and, or I should say like Mia Hams and just like unbelievable. And all the other girls are doing a great job too, but it was just, it was funny to watch like, wow. Like at that age, especially the difference between the, you know, the kids who get it and the kids who don't, is just like, it's a, it's it's a wide gulf. Yeah. It happened on Parker's soccer team over the fall. My, my oldest, my nine-year-old, there was like one kid who was like an assassin out there. And like the other kids were like, they were doing a good job. Like they were yeah, staying they were in, fine. right? They were doing what they could. But this kid, yeah. it was like if Russick got the ball, <laughs> game he over. He was gonna score. And so right. every time he got the ball, the parents would be like, "Yes, Russick, yes!" <laughs> and then we'd be like, and, "And you're doing a good job too, Brady." You know, like like that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's just hard not to get excited when you know the kid is so good. Oh no, it was a blast. Yeah. So that that's happening. My oldest kid is starting school. Oh, Friday, next Friday. Oh my goodness. So second year pre-K, half day. Um, because we don't have full day available to us mm. f- through public schools. Because mm. that's why I was so tripped out when you said full day. I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And then I I didn't realize it was like it's mandated right now. Is or it's like they, uh, I think before there was universal pre-K that you could do half day for both. And then there was like a couple years where you could only do half day for pre-K three. Got it. While that it was full day for pre-K four, and now universal pre-K is only pre-K four, and it's only full day. Got it. And I think that's to support working parents, you sure. know. Um, and I think even if it, I think even if we um, weren't doing, weren't putting Judith in the same school as the boys, and having her still at the private school we had her in last year, I think she would still do full day pre-K because they they offer it there. Um, she's just ready. Oh like, yeah, no. She I mean, freaking loves other kids and she loves you know all that oh, stuff I mean, so. definitely my daughter would absolutely do full day no hesitation she would love it um yeah yeah so that's it that's, that's it, it man ch changes that's how i feel it's like yeah i don't even know what my life's gonna look like i need to start making some money if anyone mm. has a lead mm. on anything you I'll should do anything you should just post that you want to do like manuscript consultations or something. I feel like you would get a lot of. Uh, yeah, that's true. I should. I, I don't I know want, if you want to. I, I do. Know, I would love that. to do that. Yeah. No, no. I would love to do that. I And I absolutely love the few times that I've done it. Yeah. I, I just need like, I need to know what my income is going to be every mm-hmm. month. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm at that point. So yeah. I don't think I'd be able to have that luxury with editing, but maybe. Sure. Um, so we'll see. If anyone wants to pay me 50 bucks to see like the back of my knees or something or like my elbows. Yeah, do an OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. 50 bucks. More best back, offer. 50 bucks <laughs> back of the knee. That's pretty. St- listen, listen. I will Sharpie some boobs on the back of my knees. So you'll get like two for one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. See, I sweeten the pot. It's easy. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that whole situation changed really quickly and uh, it, then it just became a deal. So, 
Uh, so we'll see. Oh we'll see. Life, life is changing, but yeah. in a good way. All right. All right, bud. See ya. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.